Cerca di contrastarlo Juan Jesus, il tocco di Esciarawi, cerca il colpo di tacco, attenzione Nainggolan, riesce a mantenere il possesso di palla, palla sulla destra verso Bruno Perez, avanza Samir davanti a lui, ancora Bruno Perez cerca spazio, il tocco è arretrato è per Strottman, lancia in area di rigore per Nainggolan, tira go, go, go! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Roma Press Podcast. I'm Production and Content Manager James Goodison. I'm joined as always by the editor of Roma Press, John Solano. John, lovely to uh, speak to you. Let's dive right in, shall we? Uh, The January transfer market... Uh, it was a bit of a weird one for Roma. It looked like Jeco and Emerson were both on their way to Chelsea. In the end, one stays, one goes. And Jonathan Silva was brought in to the club. Overall, just without delving too much into the, into the ins and outs, how do you rate this Roma transfer window? Yeah, I mean, me personally, um, pretty disappointing pretty disappointing um, I think Roma definitely had uh, some holes that they needed to fill um, they didn't take that opportunity but um, listen this is a club who you know they have to sell in order to buy it's just the nature of the beast that's um, that's where this club is in terms of finances so um, I, I can't say that I'm too surprised um, and you couple that with uh, the financial fair play obligations so um, listen, um, between what they did in the summer and the previous summers and the previous winters, I don't, I don't think anybody should be surprised that they sold, you know, an up and coming youngster with uh, so much promise as Emerson. Um, I'm sure people expected uh, perhaps a stronger replacement. Um, I, I'm not going to say I know everything about Jonathan Silva, but I certainly did my homework on him once he, uh, once he was brought in, um, you know all of the um, all of the grades and all of the judgments I'm seeing on him are not positive. They're very much the opposite, extremely negative. Hardly was able to get a game in Portugal, so it's a bit of a head scratcher. Um, but listen, uh, Roma still have Monchi at the helm. He knows what he's doing. Um, you know, I, I feel like this is more him just laying a foundation for you know potential business in the future. So. Um, you know, let's see. I, I, I definitely think they needed a right back. Um, I think Darmian would have been the perfect reinforcement. United didn't want to sell. Uh, so that's that's where Roma find themselves. They, um, you know, they didn't bring anyone in of really any um, quantity who could really make a big splash or effect. And we're just going to have to see how they roll with it. My biggest complaint this entire season has been Alessandro uh, Florenzi playing as a right back. He's been horrific. Um, I I have stated time and time again, he's a midfielder. He's not a winger. He's not a right back. He's not a wide midfielder for me. uh, Just your, uh, he's an out and out central midfielder. And I think they missed a huge opportunity to get a right back. But um, let's see. I mean, we're going to dive into you know their recent form in a little bit here, but um, it, you know other than the last two matches, you know Roma have 
showed next to nothing over the last two to three months. And, you know, maybe some thought as the many refer to the transfer windows, you know, potentially an opportunity for them to sort of restart. And uh, frankly, they didn't take that chance. Um, so they're just, you know, they're going to have to go as it is. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's not been great. I think the only victory you can really take from the January transfer window is the fact that Dzeko didn't go. I don't know where this club would be if um, if he'd gone uh, somewhere else. Such an important player. So great to be able to hold on to him. Yeah, I, and you know what? I, I got to say on that, a lot of people wanted him to leave, and rightfully so. Um, he hasn't been nearly as good this season. And frankly, with him not leaving, you're risking a bigger player uh, namely Alisson comes to mind um, but I think regardless uh, Roma being able to hold on to Alisson uh, when you have the likes of PSG and Real Madrid knocking at the door is going to be next to impossible anyway um, listen Dzeko is still an important player um, I, I you know should they have sold him I, I can you know you can make the argument that they should have but listen he's still an important player um, I mean, we saw what he did against Chelsea. Um, I, I just, he wastes chances. He's not in great form, but gosh, it's difficult for me to, uh, you know, want to um, advocate for Roma, um, you know, pushing out their most prolific goal scorer that they've had in recent years. So um, I'm with you, James. I'm thrilled that he's remaining. And I, I think um, just to go back to, Monchi and and his transfer business. I feel like this time next year, so after the um, January transfer window next year, that's probably the sort of time we can feel like we can probably judge him. Um, he had his transfer window in the summer for the first time. The winter ones, you know, never really that active. Well, traditionally, I mean, English clubs all over the shop in um, in January this year, but um, but traditionally not not as active. And next summer, this summer coming up, it will be the first full transfer window that Monchi will be able to work in. So jury's still out. Hopefully, like you say, this Jonathan Silver and stuff like that is laying the foundations. I'm also resigned to Allison uh, moving to a bigger club at some point or a club that will pay an extortionate fee that Roma will accept just because of the way um, transfer fees are going these days and financial fair play. So, yeah, I feel, well, I feel like the Dzeko thing is quite an interesting um, argument to make because you can, you can see both sides. You are right. In On the one hand, Roma need to be qualifying for the Champions League to progress. In, as just a club in order for, for money and for um, for merchandising and for just uh, prestige and attracting the right players Roma need to be in the Champions League on the other hand Dzeko's old and Chelsea were in a spot of bother in January um, with a strike you know they were searching around for a while Andy Carroll another name that they were they were in for so if Chelsea had come in and, and put in a, a bid that was quite significant you, you, you wonder whether but selling Dzeko and then investing that money back into the squad would have paid off better long term but I think in this case it was important to take the short term win keep Dzeko and, and hope he, he fires Roma back into the Champions League at the uh, at the end of this season when it all slams shut but I can definitely see how you could look at it from both sides Should we perhaps talk about 
Emerson's sale to Chelsea. Are you are you okay with that? Do you feel like we should have held on to him? I feel like at Chelsea he might sort of, you know, he's just one of those players that's just going to waste away on the on the bench and you know just sitting in the uh, the training ground. Especially because it seems like a very Conte signing, um, and he doesn't even look like he's going to be there next season maybe not even by the end of this season I mean what do you think about that yeah I mean certainly having him leave was disappointing he um he showed so much potential last season uh Emerson um before the injury I mean he was called up uh by the Itzori um you know frankly in my opinion if he goes back to the form that he was at he is Italy starting left back or left wide back or left wing back um, for some time. Um, I mean, you look at the names there, Spinazzola, um, and really that's it. Um, uh, for me, Emerson is just so strong. He has a lot of potential. Um, it's certainly very bitter to have have him leave. To me, the fee was very underwhelming, too. Um, I mean, we saw uh, the previous summer, uh, Chelsea paid... Uh, including bonuses, roughly 35 million euros, if I'm not mistaken, for Zapacosta, who is not even half the player that yeah. Emerson was last season. So that was a bit of a head scratcher. The fee, now I can understand he's coming back from injury, hardly played this season. He's probably going to need a month, maybe two, to get up to scratch, to even step onto the pitch with them, let alone get into form. So uh, I understand Roma taking a discount just from that respect. Um, but it's. I, the thing I don't understand is Conte was constantly complaining about transfers um, throughout the season, really. And this one, for me, in you know, in England, I think Emerson has to play in a three-man defense. Um, I think he has to play at wing back. I don't know if he necessarily has the skills and ability to play in a four-man back line in England. So, um, I mean, if Conte is not going to be there, I don't know you know just from a making sense standpoint how this transfer really helps Chelsea now granted you have Marco Solonso other than free kicks um Emerson is 10 times the player he is frankly um he's just such more of a complete player but yeah I, I agree with you James if if Conte is not going to be there I don't think the signing really makes much sense um, now, granted, Roma made a huge return for a player that they paid very little for, and frankly, had one good season. If you want to take the um, the optimistic approach uh, from from Roma standpoint, so uh, we'll have to see how it works out. I mean, just from a pure fan standpoint, yeah, obviously better that he had to leave. Um, the fee, you know, there's certainly, in my opinion, more that could have been had for him, especially if he was in form. Um, but it is what it is. They're, they're going to have to go without him now. Um, one question I have for you, James, I'm curious, just because you're in the thick of it. Has the Premier League, with the way they're paying fees, have they almost um, ruined the transfer market? Um, I, it, to me, it's just mind-boggling, some of the fees that have been paid for players. Good question. I, I certainly would say that the Premier League hasn't helped matters, but I think that... If you if you go back to not um, not this summer but last summer, um, or sorry, not the not the last summer transfer window but the one before that, 
the 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 biggest move was Man United paying 80 90 million for Paul Pogba which I think was sort of in in the way that transfer fees were growing and growing and growing you know from Ronaldo which was sort of the 80 million years and years ago and then Bale and then Pogba you, it was a natural progression for how more money was coming into football just through uh, television deals and things like that but I think the issue with the transfer um, transfer window and transfer prices now is that PSG's purchase of Neymar for, for 200 million nigh on 200 million that is a fee that if that would have been reached eventually but just the jump that's almost like double the amount that you know Pogba the record fee went for so I think that PSG threw the transfer market wide open after that purchase and changed the way that that clubs will think about and spend money and changed the price of pretty much all players. But uh, yeah. I, I would say I that agree. there's certainly now um, mid-table Premier League clubs that are throwing an extortionate amount of money around for extremely average players. But just because it seems to be in line with you know inflation or football transfer inflation uh, it's it's quite embarrassing um sometimes when you see like players going for a huge amount of money and just being absolutely horrendous in comparison to the fee that's that's been paid but i mean i i don't i don't know what this really means for clubs like roma um, who can't compete with that kind of money? I guess. Right. I, I guess that. I guess it means that they they sort of that you know the ecosystems of clubs reorganizes itself and clubs perhaps like you know Everton and uh, clubs that are sort of pushing for European football but not necessarily in the traditional top six clubs like Everton um, they'll they'll be beating Roma for players now just because of the amount of money they can they can spend and maybe even clubs like I don't know Watford or or, uh, or West Ham United if we actually stay up this season will start you know snatching players that Roma traditionally would have been beating them for when there was a there was a fairer sort of market on the other hand you could you could look at it as a bonus and think you know Roma are a club which which does you know see their sort of top players best players get pinched by you know either either the Spanish giants or Premier League clubs you know Mohamed Salah for example um, you know, we we can go on and on and on. Marquinhos back in the day to PSG, so maybe Roma will benefit from it financially. If 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 things like, if, for example, if the Jeco deal came off, we could come here and say, look, okay, Jeco was an important player, but that you know because of the way transfers are done nowadays, to get X amount of money, you know, twenty five million, thirty million for for Jeco, who's who's you know in his thirties now and probably got one or two seasons left. Uh, before he starts to decline, or you can even argue now when he starts to decline, then maybe Roma will benefit from that side of it. But overall, I don't. I don't think they will because they'll be beaten for you know young players with potential. They'll be beaten by Premier League clubs who perhaps aren't as prestigious but just have more money to throw around. Um, let's talk a bit about Roma's form since the January break. 
to remind anybody who uh, well I, I don't really like to remind anybody of what's been going on with Roma since January but Inter and Roma drew one all then Sampdoria we played them twice we drew one all away from home and then at home lost one nil we then beat Verona uh, after being down to 10 men 1-0 and then Benevento 5-2 last weekend so that's that's you know uh, 7 points 8 points from the last 5 games but some shoddy opposition to drop points through the Sampdoria games that's really hurt Roma and we're just very lucky that Inter have also had a bit of a shocking January as well because otherwise we'd be we'd be totally out of sight and I don't know how Roma are above Lazio again I thought that Lazio would have would have really uh, pushed on after they they took fourth spot but uh and Sampdoria as well dropping dropping a huge amount of points John, what what's your take on uh, on Roma's January Blues? Yeah, it really has a lot to do with um, uh, unable to break down the opposition. For me, I mean, Di Francesco, he said, you know, we create, but we don't score a lot. And, you know, the statistics are on his side. Yes, they do create a lot, but the quality of the chances they create, in my opinion, are just so poor at times, um, especially against Sampdoria. Um, you know, they certainly had opportunities in the first match, um, but in that second match, they were just horrible. Um, they really, really have trouble breaking down sides. Um, they, they need someone who can unlock the defense, and I think that's why we've seen such a recent emergence of under um he said two um three goals two assists in the last couple of matches um that's the kind of player roma need uh you know you can tell how much this side is lacking um without mohammed salah in there um it's just frustrating to watch at times because it's almost like they're dumbfounded as to how to get the ball in the back of the net um you know at times they almost look like they want to walk it in so for me, uh, the, the biggest problem has been an attack. They, um, you know, when plan A doesn't go as planned, they, they just seem to have no plan B. So uh, they really have to get that figured out. Um, their upcoming schedule is absolutely brutal. Uh, they have Udinese this weekend, then they have Shakhtar, then they have Milan at home, then they're away at Napoli, and then home to Torino, and then they have Shakhtar again. Um, really is I a mean, gauntlet, isn't it? That it really is. I mean, the next month is just uh, very unforgiving. So if there was ever a time where they had to figure out these issues, um, it's now. There's no other choice because um, if you look at Inter's schedule, if you look at Lazio's schedule, um, certainly much more forgiving than what Roma have. So if they're going to slip up, um, they may cause themselves a Champions League place because um, we, I mean, if you, just one look at the table, um, that three, fourth, and fifth positions are just so tight, and there can only be, there can only be two of uh, two of three finishing in a Champions League place. Yeah. So, um, they Although, really on, have no choice. On the choice. flip side, though, if if Roma come out of that, you know, within touching distance of a Champions League place, the last eight games. Um, or the last uh, 10 games after that run where Roma played Shakhtar in the second leg the last 10 games the biggest teams you, we play are Lazio and Juventus and that's probably and Fiorentina I suppose are the, are the three teams of, of actual note the rest of them Crotone Bologna uh, Genoa Spal there's, there's a, there's, there is a chance to pick pick some up 
right at the end, but it is going to be difficult. I feel like we're we're still going to be uncertain of whether Roma get a Champions League spot when we go into that game against Juventus. And uh, the way it's shaping up at the moment, Juventus could still have all to play for as well when they're um, when they're playing us in their penultimate game. But certainly, right. I, I think that if Roma can come out of of the next of the next few games with you know, at least still within touching distance, two points off of a Champions League spot, then that would be that would be probably the the, the ideal sort of scenario. But certainly, certainly been an issue in January uh, with with formation changes and uh, and players' form. What's your opinion, Di Francesco? Now we're over halfway through the season. He's had a chance to settle down. He's had a chance to teach players what sort of uh, style of football. He wants to play. Is there a, a, a long-term future for him at the club, or does he really need to put his finger out? You know, he's. Um, I've been very critical of him the last month and a half, frankly, because it almost looks like he is the embodiment of, of Rudy Garcia. He isn't able to come up with a plan B um, when plan A doesn't work. Um, his in-match adjustments, in my opinion, are very, very poor. That's somewhere he really needs to grow. Um, and frankly, uh, you know, Roma cannot afford that. They need a manager who's well-seasoned, who's been at this level. I mean, a lot of people forget. Um, I mean, this is still his first big job. This was his first time managing in the Champions League. Um, he certainly has a ton of growing to do. And my, my, my biggest complaint is that, you know, Roma is not the place for a young manager to grow. But nonetheless, I understand why Roma have stuck with him. He's on very, very, very low wages, very low wages. If you were to replace him with a name like, I mean, I, I see a lot of people throw out Ancelotti. What he's going to garner in terms of wages is just something Roma cannot afford. And frankly, I don't think that's a perfect fit right now anyway. Um, I think Roma need more of a Conte type than they do an Ancelotti type. So, you know, a name like that is just, it's not feasible whatsoever. Um, but I will say, um, he switched from the 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1. Um, and since he's done that, Roma have two victories in a row. Now, granted, opposition has been very poor, but just in terms of being able to adjust, it, it's a it's it's a pleasant surprise. I'm glad he did that. And he even said today that uh, Roma have looked better in the 4-2-3-1, and really there's no need to switch back to a 4-3-3 uh, for the moment. So, Hopefully, he continues on this track of adjustments if he sees something not working. For me, um, this was something that should have been done a month and a half ago when it was obvious that Roma were struggling to break down sides. Um, you know, this new formation allows them to get a bit more width. It allows Jekko to be, you know, a bit on an island on his own, stay in the area. And it allows guys like Nangolan to be in a more attacking position. Um, I mean, he's been playing in that 4-3-3. He's been terrible. Um, and we saw what he did last season under Spalletti in the 4-2-3-1. He was unbelievable, absolutely world-class. So um, for now, I, I think he's doing okay. Not great, not bad. Um, this next month, in my opinion, though, I think we will learn a lot about him and we'll see what type of manager he really is. So should Di Francesco uh, go at the end of the season or should he stick around? Are you happy with his first couple of months? Let us know by tweeting us at AS Roma Press. And now to join us to preview Shakhtar Roma, I would like to welcome Manu Veth to the podcast. Um, you can find him on Twitter at M A 
N-U-E-L-V-E-T-H. And then his website is Football Grad Live. And that's at Football Grad Live and at FootballGrad.com. Manu, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I, I'm wonderful, thanks. So thank you for joining us. Um, you know, you are one of the most seasoned uh, journalists that I have followed on Twitter in regards to German football, really a lot of Eastern European football. So I, I was really happy to get you on just because, frankly, um, a lot of Roma fans, even a lot of uh, media uh, in Rome, they really do not know much about Shakhtar, um, other than they, they elimin, uh, eliminated Roma nearly seven years ago in the Champions League. Um, so could you give us just a little background on the team? Um, who, you know, just describe them as a team as a whole. Who are some of their key players? Yeah, they're a very good team, John. Um, this is this is a team that finished second in a, in a Champions League group that included uh, Manchester City, Napoli and Feyenoord and um, defeated Manchester City in their own ground. Uh, on their own ground, um, of course, it's a little bit difficult right now because of the situation in the Donbass, right, with the conflict between Russian separatists and the the Ukrainian army. They can actually not play in, in Donetsk. They play in Kharkiv, um, which has caused them a few problems in recent years. But this is a very good side. It's a very good team. Um, of course, traditionally always full of Brazilians. Uh, I think there's currently seven Brazilians in the side. Uh, that's always been been something that defined them, that they are able to find Brazilians. Um, they signed a new Brazilian this winter, for example, in Dodo, um, that they find these players in Brazil and then uh, develop them and then sell them on uh, for big money to, to West. But in, at the same time, they always have kept up that really high level um, of football. And in Paulo Fonseca, they have a very good coach right now who's very tactical, astute. He likes to play in a 4-2-3-1, very quick, attacking football. And um, he, it doesn't matter who they play, um, no matter what the stature of opposition is, they always come out to play their um, philosophy of football, which is attacking, quick pressing football, um, using the wings to, to go forward as quickly as possible, using Marlos and Tyson, the two Brazilians on either wing. And um, that's really something that defines them, that the fact that they, they're not faced by any opposition. Um, this is something that we saw in the two games against Manchester City. This is what we saw against the two games against Napoli in the Champions League group stage. So this is a very good team all around. A very fantastic team and a very great team to watch. Well, that to me, that perfectly describes them from how they were nearly seven years ago. I have to say, I was in the Curva, uh, the Curva Sud um, <laughs> when they when they won three to two at the Olimpico. Um, they were absolutely fantastic, um, and the way you describe them there in present day um, it almost perfectly entails to how they were uh, back then. So it seems like they've kept that philosophy. Um, you know, one big talking point, and I, I've I've heard this um, asked in press conferences for for Roma at least three to four times now um, is the winter break. Mm. Do you think that will have any negative effect on them whatsoever? Traditionally, it does for all the teams from that region. It's it's a big problem, right? If you go um, on a winter break that's three months long and and sometimes this game can be your first one. Of course, um, Shakhtar Donetsk are playing on Friday against John Moritz Odessa. So they at least have one competitive game under their belt, right? But it's one game isn't a lot. Um, we've seen right. this this week, for example, Zenit St. Petersburg lost 1-0 in Glasgow. Um, 
yes, the Paradise, uh, Celtic Park is a very difficult place to play, but on paper, they need to have a way better team than, than Glasgow do. And it's because of that winter break, right? They go on a three-month-long winter break and then they train in places like Spain, Dubai, Shakhtar a couple of years ago went out to Miami the year before to Brazil, you know, warm places. And then they train there and they play all these friendlies, lots and lots and lots of friendlies to sort of simulate competitive football. But right. it's just it's just not possible. It's just not um, you can't you can't simulate being in on in a competitive stage. Um, so this is something that really hurts them. Uh, it really does. So for them, that first stage is almost the most difficult. Once they get through that stage, then they usually start flying, right? We've seen a few years ago where I think there was two Ukrainian sites in the semifinal of the Europa League, right? And um, Dnepro were making the final that year. So once they get through the stage, they're fine. But this stage is very difficult for all the teams from the post-Soviet space and always has been traditionally. Yeah, well, we'll certainly have to see. Again, it's been a big talking point. Um, I mean, in my opinion, I feel like maybe people have made too much of it just because, I mean, these mm. players seem, I mean, they're certainly used to it. Um, but going back, I've mentioned it a couple times now, how they've uh, eliminated Roma nearly seven years ago. Um, you know, just in your opinion, uh, we saw how strong they were in the group stage. They were very, very strong. Um, they put out great displays against very strong competition. Um, you know, Napoli has been fantastic at the San Paolo this season. How would you rate their chances right now against Roma? Um, I mean, by the way you describe them, um, you know, I, I would assume you think they have a really good chance of moving on. Yeah, I, we did a we did a big preview on our football grad podcast, and we said it was a fifty fifty game, and I think that's exactly what it is. These are these are two teams that are level, um, and it will be little details that will make the the difference. I, I sense that Roma, because they lost Mo Salah right in the summer, that's been something that's really been hurting them. Uh, the goal production has dropped significantly as a result. Very much. Yeah, and that's something that's possibly going to be something that Schachter will exploit. Um, for the first time in a long time, Schachter actually added a player to the squad, um, a, a wingback in Dodo, um, a Brazilian talent. So I think these, this is a side that's you know very much very established. And uh, Paulo Fonseca, the Portuguese coach, is a coach who's on everyone's lips and he's been recently linked with the Bayern job, right? So he knows exactly how to exploit any kind of weakness. But at the same time, I mean, Roma still is a very good team. So I, I put this down as a very, as very much a 50-50 um, game and um, a game that I personally believe will be very spectacular. So for the first leg, I won't hold you to this whatsoever. It's, you know, what's an outlook if you had a guess? Um, and if you want to, again, I won't hold you to it. A brief prediction only for the first leg. Yeah, that's, you know, it's that, that, that first game, of course, is the one where Schachter are still going to find the legs. Now, um, I've looked at right. the weather report in Kharkiv. It's, it's going to be very cold. I think the uh, weather report is currently snowfall and minus six degrees. <laughs> so um, now, usually I would say that would be a positive for them. But remember what I just said, they've just come back from a warm place themselves. So, you know, it's not a huge difference for them than it is for Roma. Um, I think that Schachter always play attacking football. They always do. They just can't help themselves. That's just the way they set up. But I still suspect that Paulo Fonseca 
will try to get as positive as a result from this as po- possible without conceding a goal. Because if you concede a goal, so if even if it's a zero zero tie, right, they will go back to Italy and say like, by that, by then we have another two weeks um, under the belt of playing football. We warm the weather down there and then we can play our attacking football and hit them. So I think they will be as cautious as Schachter can be. They can't be that cautious because it's simply not in their DNA, but it's possibly cautious as they will be and go for a one nil, uh, zero zero, um, maybe just trying to not concede a goal on um, so that they have that they don't have that disadvantage when they head back to Italy. Brilliant. Well, everyone, you can find him at footballgrad.com. Manu, thank you so much for your time. Very insightful. Again, everyone, give him a follow on Twitter. Check out their website. Um, it's a fantastic resource. So thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. All right, so thanks again for Manu for joining. So I wanted to get a temperature gauge on how everyone else is feeling about this match. So I tweeted out, everyone, send me your uh, predictions for the match. What's going to happen? Just a brief prediction. So let's just go through a couple of those. So Anth at the big AG16 um, says, with DiFrancesco switching from the 4-3-3, I have much more confidence in the group after these tough few months. I think we have a great chance to get a result on the road, but winning this weekend against Udinese is a must for confidence. Um, oh, gosh. I, I agree with that. Um, I, I just don't know, James. I mean, uh, the way uh, Manu put it, he um, he seemed pretty confident that, that Roma wouldn't win in that first leg. Is that the sense you got? Yeah, I mean, he definitely definitely seemed like that. Um, yeah, I think I think the the bottom line is, as uh, as long as Roma, I think Roma need an away goal in this game. I think Roma need an away goal. I I, I can imagine this being like a two one defeat for Roma. Two yeah, one, I'd I'd snatch your hand off for it, honestly. Um, that, that's think, not bad at all. I don't think Shakhtar are that much. Like, I feel like it's probably on the same level. It's just what kind of Roma turns up. Because we've been awful in January, but in the Champions League, we've we played some of the best football. So who knows? What uh, you know? Does he motivate them differently? Do they feel differently when they go into these games? I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I feel tough. like this is a really close game. And we should be thankful just to have a team like Shakhtar that we can even talk about it being a close game because they're you know in another world we would have got Madrid or or whoever. So I, yeah. I, I'm not complaining. I do think Roma can get something for it. All I would say is I think it would be a shame to lose to a team like Shakhtar. I think a quarterfinal yeah, so exit, you know, with some grace against a team like Manchester City or, you know, Real Madrid, if they if they uh, finish the job at PSG, that, that, would, be, that would be like a, a respectable Roma performance. Uh, you know, and a, a loss to Shakhtar, I wouldn't wouldn't enjoy that at all. Yeah, I mean, if they have any aspirations to be considered a big club, they can't lose this. Um, I, I just implore anybody who thinks this is going to be a cakewalk. Um, the match I was at in the Cuba Sud, um, just, just YouTube, uh, Shakhtar 3, Roma 2. Um, I have nightmares of John uh, John Anarisa <laughs> slipping on his ass um, and, and Shakhtar just running up and down the pitch and annihilating Roma. So that, that's the only reason why I'm apprehensive. Um, let's get to another one. So uh, here's an interesting ad. So at fat underscore totti. Interesting. Um, 
I see it going anyway due to many different factors. They, meaning Shakhtar, are strong at home. However, it will be their second competitive game for two months, which could favor Roma. Now, that is something that Manu um, alluded to as well. Um, I mean, James, you would think if there was ever an opportunity to exploit an away victory, um, I mean, facing a team coming off a long winter break has to be like a golden opportunity, you would imagine, right? Yeah, I do feel like that, but I, I have to, I have to wonder like, how you know Shakhtar do that every year. Um, maybe not in the Champions League, but they'll they'll always, you know, they'll be in in sort of knockouts. Like for reference. Over the past couple of years, last year they were in the Europa League um, knockouts. Then they were in the semis of the Europa League the year before that. Then the round of 16 in the Champions League. You know, so they've always made it through. The last time they didn't get out of the group stages was 2011-2012. And out of out of all of them, I suppose they have, they have crashed out. Uh, let me just see here. They've crashed out four out of the five seasons since in this leg so in this stage of the competition whether it be the round of 32 in the Europa League or the round of 16 in the Champions League so I suppose there is an argument for it whichever way you spin it though you know two competitive games or second competitive game back from a two month break you've got to you've got to take advantage of that and maybe that will that will um, even even the odds of playing away in uh, in Shakhtar as well. So you know, I, I I think that that it will it will definitely be a factor. But I do wonder if you know consistently this club has reached knockout stages within Europe before, whether they haven't you know figured it out and you know not rested on their laurels. I don't I don't think that it's going to be. The same as um, you know them coming back after the summer. It would you know I, I just don't see an equivalent. It's not like they've been idle like um, like Manu said. He's been they've been uh, playing matches and friendlies. Obviously you can't compare it, but it's it's definitely a big night because I think that those Shakhtar players and the faculty will be looking at Roma's form over the past couple of uh, weeks. yeah. The, I mean they'll be they'll be saying something similar. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They'll be saying the same. They've had a bad January. You know, we can we we we're fresh. We just had two months rest. You know, which it depends which way you spin it. Really, I can see it going either way. Yeah, I, I agree. Hang on, let's see if there's a couple others. So AS Roma underscore fans club. They say I think we can win two one. However, we need to apply pressure and urgency. I think Nangolan El Sharawi Fazio Under are keys to winning. Um, sure, I, I agree with that. I, I just. You have to wonder when that choke factor, um, if that will at all play a play a part whatsoever. But yeah, um, another one th- worth that's bringing just... attention to as well is at the original Mike R. Roma have been struggling to break down provincial defenses that sit back and lose to superior sides who press play. Shakhtar is neither provincial nor superior. I expect Roma to find space and make the most of it. Three-one to Roma over the two legs. I don't think that's that uh, far out of the possibilities. No, I, I mean, man, he did say that. He said, listen, they play open, they play attacking football. Um, I mean, again, I don't know. There's not much of a correlation, but if you look from six, seven years ago when they originally eliminated Roma, they played the exact same way. Um, it just seems like it's an ingrained foundation at that club. So I don't think that's out of the question. Um, 
I'd be very worried if, I mean, scoring three goals over two legs is, at this point, for Roma is a miracle. Um, but with a team that plays such attacking football, I, I'm worried that that might not be enough. Um, I mean, we'll see, though. I, it's just so tough to call this, just because if you go by the Roma that we saw from August to October, it's a completely different team than the one we've seen from November to present day. It's almost like night and day. It's astonishing that it's even the same club. Um, I mean, you were at the Chelsea match. If you go with that Roma, I, I, I don't want to sound um, ignorant or naive or cocky, but um, they would wipe the floor with Shakhtar, would they not? Sorry, I beg your pardon? So, so if we went by the Roma, you were at the match in London against oh, Chelsea. Yes. Well, um, I mean, if, if that we... Roma turns up, then, you know, brilliant. We're laughing. This is the issue. Like, does is is this... We talked a lot about how, you know, Roma's, um, you know, first you know, away victory in the Champions League in a couple of seasons and all of these barriers that got broken down, topping a group with Atletico and Chelsea in it. And um, and and a tricky you know a tricky game um, against uh, Karabag as well. I, do, I don't know what Roma's going to turn up. Has has this mental block in the Champions League uh, receded? And are they going to you know are they are they going to play and perform well? I I really don't know. It's going to be very interesting because I think that one thing that Roma's um, directors and, and big bosses and people like Pelotta, you know, will be saying and, and thinking about when they consider Di Francesco's future is his performance in the Champions League. Um, because of this group and because of the nights that he gave the, the Roma ultras. So, I, you know, I think that it's a very, this is a very important game for Di Francesco and if if he can get them to stay up uh, you know step up and he's got their confidence flowing and he breaks down that mental barrier then there you go but I, I really I really don't know what Roma's going to turn up um, it's bizarre yeah, and you, for sure. I, I have to bring this up um, Monchi gave a great interview to Sky Sports uh, two days ago or maybe yesterday I forget which he, he, he mentioned that he has never been to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. And I actually went back and I looked. I could not believe that. It's crazy. When he said it, I was dumbfounded because, I mean, you think of the great squads he's had at Sevilla. Um, I mean, they've had such strong teams. I actually went back to reference it, and he wasn't kidding. He has never been to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, which is just mind-blowing to me. Um I mean, if you think about all the talent he's had over the nearly two decades he was there, it's um, it's pretty crazy that a sporting director of his ilk has never made it that far in the competition. So, um, again, you just mentioned it. Even from um, a hierarchy standpoint, uh, this is going to be a big, big, big opportunity for Roma. Um, so we'll uh, we're going to have to cross our fingers and see what happens. Yes, we'll, we'll certainly uh, be watching on. We can't wait for the game. That's all for today's AS Roma Press podcast. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes so you can get uh, the fresh podcast drop onto your phone as soon as they come available. Let's hope that we uh, beat Shakhtar and we'll have something to celebrate and talk about on the next podcast. That's all for today. Take care. Bye-bye.